0: Hello, welcome to episode 28 of Born to Thrive with Jamie Lee. I'm your host, Jamie Lee. I work as a coach, and my mission is to help ambitious people like you become bolder, braver, and better paid. I just got this wonderful email from Natalia who's been following me uh, on LinkedIn, and she said she negotiated her salary increase by 30%. That's awesome, amazing job, Natalia. And today I want to share with you an interview with Simon Brady, certified financial planner, on what to do with the financial abundance that we negotiate. What can we plan to do with this abundance that we negotiate and earn so that the people that we love the most, our family, our children, for example, can benefit the most into the future. And also, what are some truisms? Truisms are truish. A lot of people believe them to be true, but they are not necessarily or absolutely true. And some of these truisms hold us back from doing the right things so that the money that we earn, so that the financial abundance that we negotiate can be put to the best use possible in the long-term future, for the benefit of people that we love the most. And I think this is really important because, again, why are we bothering to negotiate and speak up and lead and influence? It's so that we can thrive and so that our thriving abundance can benefit the people we love. But also, why aren't we doing the things that we know uh, to be beneficial for for the future long term. It's because we have thoughts, we have beliefs about money, about women and money, about investing, about what it means uh, to plan ahead for the future. And so I'm going to kind of kick the tires on some of these truisms with Simon, who is a founder and principal of Anglia Advisors, a fee-only personal financial planning and investment management firm in New York. And he specializes in a clientele of younger professionals like you who are in their 20s, 30s, and early 40s, as well as foreign nationals based here in the US. And I wanna just let you know that Simon also has a podcast on the Anchor app platform. It's called Angles, the Anglia Advisors Podcast. And you might want to check out some of these awesome podcast episodes. He talks about student loan debt repayment, which is big for some of my clients, um, you know, estate planning, who needs it, why, insurance, wh- what is that all about? Uh, procrastination, I know that's a juicy topic, and stock picking, and, and it's just so much more that I think will benefit the people who are ambitious, who are becoming bolder, braver, and better paid. Without further ado, here's the interview with Simon Brady of Anglia Advisors. Enjoy. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Simon. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy day to answer my questions about financial truisms.
1: Yes, yes. I'm very happy to. Very happy to. And looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah. So, truisms, they kind of sound truish and a lot of people believe them. But, you know, I want to question whether they really are true from the perspective of a financial planning expert. Hence we have you.
1: <laughs> yes, the first three letters uh, are actually somewhat misleading. Most truisms tend to uh, fail scrutiny. Um, but uh, yes, I know there's a certain amount of them. Um, there's a considerable amount of them that revolve around money. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to exploring that.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's go to the biggest the baddest one, <laughs> at least for me. <laughs> Men are better investors than women. Oof.
1: There is very little true in that, um, and uh, there's plenty of data to uh, to back up that uh, that statement. Um, I think. I think. Before before we necessarily look at whether it's true or not, let's explore why it is more important for women to be better investors than men. Um, hmm. it, it, some of it's very, some of it's very, big. the life expectancy of a female uh, right now is 81 years old compared to 76 for a man. And. Um, A 65-year-old woman, the chances of a 65-year-old woman reaching the age of 90 is about one in three. Um, The chances of a 65-year-old man doing the same is about one in five. Mm. So women women live longer and life costs money. Um, When you then throw in the gender pay gap, which is still around 80%, um, you're talking about women living longer having less social security available because they have earned less generally over their lives. And then let's throw another thing into the mix, which is that they spend fewer years in the workforce because they're more likely to take time off to care for young children. Um, when you combine combine these three elements, the longer lifespan, the gender pay gap, and the fewer years in the workforce, um, the statistics I saw recently were that women are 80% more likely than men to be impoverished in retirement. Um, And even if they save at a higher rate than men, and there's evidence that they do, uh, women will generally end up with smaller nest eggs. Mm. Um, So this, this is why it is critical for women to learn to become good savers and investors
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, They and they cannot always rely on the husband to help out because um, the median age at which a female becomes a widow in the US is about 59 years old mm. um, again just pulling these statistics out if you're 85 years old of, of 85 year olds 45% of men and 85% of women are likely to be widowed at that age. Women are also less likely to remarry following divorce or widowhood. Um, So when you throw all these things together, it is critical that women take control um, of their finances because they're going to, the statistics show that they're more likely to be um, in, in difficulty in retirement and that they're also less likely to have a partner to help them out at that time.
0: Mm. So, how how true is it that men are better investors than women?
1: So, there's plenty of evidence that shows that women, at about a, a two to one ratio of a man, favour a more comprehensive approach approach to their financial planning. So the men will tend to focus on what is the better rate of return that I can get on my investments? um, Which stocks or funds should I be buying? Whereas women will tend to uh, also want to include in their workings with financial advisor or financial planner, they're going to want to talk about estate planning as well. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to talk about um, insurance for a a life insurance against, um, against the loss of a partner, they're more likely to take a more holistic approach to what's going on. Whereas men tend to focus on purely the investment side of things. And just as an advisor with a significant number of couples and female clients, I can say anecdotally that that is absolutely the case. Mm. Um, many couples I deal with, um, I find the men uh, are looking very, very closely at the investment side of things. And then when the guy gets up to go to the bathroom, the, 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 the wife leans over and says, you know, we don't have a will and uh, we, I don't really know where the money is and what if he were to die. They tend to take a lot more holistic approach. Um, however, Having said that, women tend to make a greater attempt to understand markets in general. Uh, They panic a lot less when things are tough, when the markets get difficult. And this is sort of maybe counterintuitive to the the caricature of women being more emotional than men. Hmm. When it comes to money, uh, it is absolutely not the case. They are also more likely to take more reasonable levels of risk in the first place. Um, and the basis upon which they may make their investments are usually, or uh, again, anecdotally, I can confirm this, usually more based on proper factors rather than a guy who is perhaps more likely to be more impulsive on the purchase side of things. Maybe his brother-in-law has this great stock tip Uh, In other words, there's a lot less overconfidence among women when it comes to making the investments in the first place. And there's a lot less um, uh, knee jerk reaction to um, panicking when things get difficult. And it is very, very common for uh, the uh, American investors in general to lose money because they go into investments on very very bad information and they get out when uh, as soon as things start to get uh, start to get difficult so women are far less likely to show these behavioral traits um
0: so what i hear from you is that first of all we get to live longer women live longer and we save more and we take a more holistic approach, we're more patient, more, we're more resilient, and maybe we're more, also more calm in the eye of the storm. And these are all characteristics of a good investor.
1: Yes, and, the, and there's, there's, as I say, there's empirical data to show this. Um, they did do a proper study in 2015, which was not a particularly good year for the markets. Um, and they did find that women investing on their own lost an average of 2.5% that year compared with uh, 3.8% for men. Um, and this is because of this uh, lower inclination to get jump in and get out, uh, which is the, as I say, is the cause of uh, the fact that most investors in the United States uh, fail to even um make the returns that the market offers because they jump in, jump out, um, which men are far more likely to do.
0: Mm.
1: Bizarrely, though, um, in spite of all, everything we've just said, uh, many women outsource the family finances to the man, the the spouse. uh, And then when there is a divorce or widowhood at some time, um, they can end up being financially paralyzed because although they have these, um, these traits, they do not have the experience. They don't know where the, necessarily where the funds are. They haven't been uh, managing the family finances because they've tended to outsource it to, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the spouse.
0: So I hear that it's, it's kind of dangerous to you know, just assume that men are better investors than women. It's kind of a dangerous assumption to make. And speaking of assumptions, I talk about how that's the worst thing you can do when you are trying to negotiate, um, you know, especially in communication with other people. And uh, so, again, I hear from you. Just to assume that it's better for the husband to take care of the money, take care of the investment, it could be a dangerous pitfall for, for a woman's financial abundance.
1: Extremely, extremely dangerous, and and not just necessarily for the woman's financial abundance, but what you have in a uh, in a couple is you have a team, and if they can work closely together on the family finances, two two good things happen. One is that the um, the the traits that I've just described of women being less impulsive and generally better at investing will take the edge off um, the male spouse who may be left alone to his own devices. Mm. Uh, If it's a joint effort, uh, you get you can get you can benefit from uh, both sides of the equation. But more important than that is that, um, you know, the the statistics are going to show that woman is likely either through divorce or widowhood um, to be on her own at some point um, and will need to pick up the pieces um, in terms of running the family finance or running the finances of what will, you know, could very well be her on her own then. Um, And if she has no experience of it, and and in some cases, maybe not even knowledge of of where the funds are and what they're invested in. uh, Yes. It can be extremely dangerous. Yeah.
0: So I just want to add that you're speaking to another dangerous assumption, which is that if you are married or if you have a partner that this partner, your husband, your wife, whomever, needs to take care of you. You know, people say, you know, my husband, my wife, they need to take care of my needs. And um, what I'm hearing from you and what I what I also know to be true for me is that I am responsible for my own needs. I'm responsible for my own finances. I mean, that's how I've structured my partnership. Um, I've also seen this you know, from the example of my parents' divorce, I, I realized oh I need to take care of myself. You know.
1: <laughs> yes, so. uh, uh, it's it's very common, and I see it. Um, you know, forty five year old women who don't know how to pay a gas bill, mm-hmm. um, even though there's 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 money in the family, they don't know where the assets are located, and this is you know uh, where um, things like estate planning and everything else come into play. I think if you have um, the kind of relationship where you can work together on these things. Um, there, are, there are multiple advantages to be gained from that. I mean, another example is where v- what's very, very typical is that uh, the husband will get a credit card, will put his wife as a named user on the card. Uh, they can exist like that for 20, 30 years. And then the husband passes away and the as a named card holder, the, the wife has not built any credit whatsoever um, on her own. And when she needs to um, you know, go out into the world on her own after the divorce or widowhood, um, she has no credit. She's like a student out of college because mm-hmm. all she's had is this named card and the husband's been taking all the credit for the credit. Um,
0: so speaking of these <laughs> worst case scenarios... You know them very well, um, and, and you know you know them firsthand. One of the other financial truisms is because I don't have money, I don't need estate documents, or oh. I don't need to save for retirement, or I can't afford to invest. I I have a theory that this this sort of truism oh. is coming out of scarcity mentality that money is going to run out money is like a fixed pie there's only so much of it that you can get and so you have to scrimp and save and you know be very wary of how that money is spent and so I'd love to hear from you you know from your financial planning perspective do you see this to be true
1: do I see it to be true that this mentality exists absolutely Um, is it a correct mentality? I don't have a lot of money. I don't need estate documents or I don't need to save for retirement because I can't afford to. Um, Are those uh, valid mentalities? Absolutely not. Um, A lot of what is at the root of estate planning um, doesn't have anything to do with money.
0: What is estate planning?
1: So estate planning really is Um, a situation whereby while you are alive, competent, healthy to some degree or another, you are able to make plans for the people that you love as well as yourself for the circumstance where you are no longer alive, healthy, or competent, um, because once you cross that line from one to the other, uh, there's obviously very, very little you can do. So estate documents, estate planning is really not about you because you're going to be dead. You're not going to care. It's about um, the life uh, and the process that your loved ones, your family members or your favorite charity or whoever you want to um, to, to to work on your legacy um, how difficult their life is going to be uh, when that moment comes. And as I say, a lot of it is not to do with money. Estate because of recent tax changes, um, estate tax is barely an issue anymore. Um, oh. you, ha- you have to be as a married couple where one of you dying worth around about $22 million before you ha- face any kind of federal estate tax. So, estate tax really has very little to do with it for 99% of the population. What it is about is, obviously when there are children involved, it's guardianship, um, because if you do not name a guardian in an estate document, in a will, um, the state, the court system will name that one for, will name one for you. Mm. And if they cannot find anyone they are comfortable with, the the children will go into foster care in a case where there is no parent left. Um, So if you have uh, considerations regarding the upbringing of your children, whether it be their religion, whether it be however many um, siblings they have, whether you want to keep them together, um, you need to name somebody with whom you've had a very, very long discussion beforehand about what is going to happen to those children and what kind of upbringing they're going to have uh, in the case where uh, there are no parents left. Um, I'm talking about when I say children, I'm talking about um, people who are under 18. Yeah. Um, you also have to consider yourself as well um, in terms of incapacitation. That's something else that's covered by state documents. If you're hit by a car and you're no longer able to make medical decisions for yourself, who do you want making those medical decisions? Who do you want hiring, firing doctors? Who do you want to make that awful decision as to whether to turn off a machine or or leave it going? Um, And you need to nominate somebody for that. And you need to have a long conversation with them um, about what you want to happen in these kind of circumstances. So it's not just about what happens to my money. Um, it's about what uh, what you want to happen to you on a healthcare front, and also, obviously, when there's children involved. Um,
0: I can see why people would want to avoid doing estate documents because it's scary and uh, it's uncomfortable to think about not being able to, you know, being incapacitated or deceased. Um, and uh, the easy thing for our minds for our brains to do is just avoid difficult things avoid you know um, difficult conversations Uh, but as you said it has nothing to do with whether or not you have money like you could be making $20,000 a year and you'd still be best served if you did the planning because that's how you serve the people you love in your life
1: Right. It's scary, but it's not as scary and uncomfortable as it actually happening. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah. Good point. You Thank can, you.
1: And you can break estate documents down. Um, you can break them down as well. You if, you, if you generally do not have a lot of money and you die without a will, the state will, the state has rules about where that money will go. If you do, Let's take your example of $20,000. You have $20,000 in the bank. You die without a will. That $20,000 that you have not specified where it goes, if you have a spouse, it will generally go to the spouse. If you do not have a spouse or children, it will generally start moving up the curve to your parents. And if you're comfortable with the direction that the money will move for you dying without a will, then, you know, I can generally see for, a, for somebody who's single, who doesn't own any property, doesn't have any kids and is quite happy for their parents to get there. Whatever money they have, okay, don't don't necessarily go out and spend two thousand dollars on a will, but get the healthcare proxy done, which explains, which I uh, mentioned before um, about the um, naming the proxy for your healthcare. Those documents are available online for free to be downloaded. They don't even need to be notarized.
0: Hmm. Okay,
1: um, so it's, and, yeah, and so
0: it's money is no excuse here, then.
1: Money is no excuse. I mean, I no? think everybody over the age of eighteen should have a healthcare proxy. This is nothing, even though it's bundled in with the concept of estate planning, um, it's it's something that should be just absolutely normal. If you put healthcare proxy in your state, you'll find a form. Uh, All it needs is two witnesses. Um, and there's plenty of documentation about how to, you know, how to have the difficult conversations with people. Um, and then the moment you have kids, of course, then you're into, then you're into needing a will because then you have to start laying out guardianship uh, provisions.
0: Yeah. So could we have a chat about this, um, resistance to saving or investing, saving for the retirement or investing? You feel like I'm making $30,000, 20 or $30,000. I don't have the money. I can't do that. I can't afford it. Is that true?
1: In some cases, it is genuinely true. Um, I mean, th- there are some people who who have um, obligations in terms of whether it be rent, food, um, and there literally is nothing left over at the end. Um, in those cases, it is a little difficult to be very preachy about, uh, oh, you should be saving money for retirement. But most people, when it really comes down to it, are not in that situation. Most people, um, and again, you know, you and I live in, in New York where we see we, we, we is a little bit of a bubble. But most people, um, when it comes down to examining their spending and what they're actually spending money on, could re uh, reallocate some of that spending uh, to assets that are very very different from what uh, from what they're spending on I mean the when you I haven't got the data in front of me but when you look at the spending on lottery tickets by um, low income individuals it's, it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying um, so, I just,
0: I just, can I just interject here my mom used to buy them all oh my the God. time. <laughs> That,
1: yeah. <laughs> there's libraries of studies on this thing. Uh, you know, the people who, the people, you know, a lottery ticket really has statistically zero chance of making you any money, uh, in a terms of a, uh, a return on investment standpoint. Um, and, but the people who can afford to buy lottery tickets don't buy them. The people who can't afford do. Um, so, to get back to your to, to your question. Um, it really is a matter of taking a good long look at what you are spending on. And there's plenty of tools to do that these days. You can, from going through a credit card statement to sites like mint.com, which you link your, your bank account and your credit cards to, and will then show you what you're spending money on. Um, the, 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 the sad fact is that um, in order to maintain the lifestyle that you have while you're working on the day you retire as a general rule of thumb, you need to have in the bank about 20 times what you are earning in that final year, mm. in order to be able to get through. And again, to get back to the female thing, possibly women need more than that because they're going to live longer than men. Mm. Um, we cannot rely on uh, the pensions that our parents and grandparents used to get where uh, generally you, are, you, know, you would get uh, income for the rest of your life. We're now in a world of 401ks and IRAs where you have to make the contributions and the, uh, the stream of income is not guaranteed until you die. Um, so you really are responsible for your own retirement. Social security, while I don't think it's going to disappear, is barely above poverty level in terms of uh, what it provides.
0: Yeah. So Simon, I think this would be a great place to transition to my to the to the last tourism I want to discuss with you mm-hmm. which is salary is king no matter what because you know we talked about the need for saving twenty times your income. You know when I heard that I'm like, whoa! I need to save a lot more money, right? Um, and so people who are listening to my podcast they're also interested in growing their income. Uh, by showing up as leaders and, as, and negotiating for what they want. Um, but there's also this truism that salary is king no matter what. And there's, I, I think there's a bit of emotional element to it that you know, this, this base salary reflects the respect that I get. And I often have to coach my clients to think about the other uh, compensation components um, so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Certainly. Um, and just just to clarify one thing, I, obviously I'm not, not suggesting people save 20 times a salary. I'm really sort of saying that by the time they retire, they need to have 20 times their their, their salary.
0: Got it. Thank sitting you. It,
1: sitting <laughs> in the Saving 20 times your salary is a little tricky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a truism to some degree um, that I have some sympathy for. For, And I think it's just, a, it's, you and I will look at this in slightly different terms. So the way you've expressed it to me just now is that you're looking at the salary as a component part of an overall package, which could include very good or not very good health insurance, um, you know, life insurance, flexible spending accounts, other um, 401k not, contribution 401k matches, matches, exactly. Yeah um you know non-salary benefits that when you sit down and and turn those into dollars and cents can be a, a very very um interesting alternative to a certain amount of salary um however when I look at these things I I, I tend to bundle them a little bit a little bit more together mm-hmm. and the way I look at what what you're asking is that I would just replace the word salary with income um, and say income is king no matter what. Um, I would say yes, in some degree for uh, an example of this would be if you're going to go out and spend $2,500 on getting a designation or going out and getting some education uh, that could legitimately lead to a ten thousand dollar raise at work Hmm. uh, if you had it that is twenty five thousand dollars very twenty five hundred dollars very very well spent that's a that's a far better rate of return than taking that twenty five hundred dollars putting it in a 401k and making a sort of eight nine ten percent return on it over, over a long period of time so what i'm what i what i'm the way i'm reading your question is perhaps a little different to the way you interpret it um, I think spending money to, to, on your career and on your the advancement of your career, uh, if that does involve getting designations, qualifications, or anything of that nature, um, is money very well spent. And I would, I would, I would condone uh, <laughs> somebody uh, reducing their 401k contributions for a certain period of time in order to fund something like that, which will be positive long term.
0: Okay, well, thank you for that because I mean, people do invest in working with a coach like me, or a career coach or performance coach, so that they can um, increase their income, um, and that has a huge impact on their financial abundance. Uh, what about when people transition from working full time to part time?
1: That that can be a very, obviously, a very stressful time for people because suddenly. No longer are they not getting perhaps the healthcare coverage that they were used to, but they're now having to go out and pay for that healthcare coverage. Um, I think both you and I uh, have experience of this, having worked, um, you know, on a W two salaried basis and then gone off on our own. And it, it 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 is it is quite quite shocking the amount of expenses that you um, that you were that you were very comfortable assuming. Uh, were going to be there when you were working for an employer then no longer there. Um, there, I would say that transitioning from full-time to part-time uh, needs to be something that's very, very planned um, and a financial runway should be built um, should be built in advance of that. Uh, I think waking up one morning and saying screw this job, I'm going to go and be an entrepreneur this afternoon um, is a very, very very, very dangerous thing to do. I think it should be well-planned and well-thought-out um, and saved for, specifically saved for. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, be, be aware. Be aware in advance of what you are losing when you, uh, when you, you know, walk out of that office for the last time.
0: Yeah. So just to summarize some of the talking points, um, I heard from you that women actually tend to be better investors than men. And it's rather dangerous to assume that men are better investors than women and to entrust them with all of the finances if you are in a household. And uh, everyone benefits from having estate documents. If you are 18 and older and you have people who are relying on you, people whom you love that you want to take care of, Even when you are incapacitated or deceased, estate documents have nothing to do with money because you can even set them up for free. Um, And uh, everyone can benefit from saving for retirement, but um, you agree that income, um, being able to grow that income, is is a top priority probably especially for people in your clientele who tend to be in their 20s 30s and 40s because that's when that's the period when they're growing their income potential um, at the the greatest levels very much so yeah yeah and we need to be more careful uh, when we (laughs) decide to quit our jobs and do our own thing um, as you and i have done (laughs) Uh, we need to plan ahead is, is the biggest takeaway that I'm, I'm gaining from this conversation. So um, before you go, I just have two more quick questions. The first is, sure. do you have specific tips or suggestions for people who want to create financial abundance?
1: I think you've touched on a few of them um, now. Uh, I would say maintain... degree of independence even if you are in a you know a financially dependent relationship such as a marriage Um, and make sure that the um, the two spout the two partners in the relationship um, are as equal as they can possibly be not necessarily in terms of what they earn but in terms of what what they are doing with their finances Something, yeah. something. You know, in terms of 401ks and IRAs, you have to do it individually. But I would say um, that 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 financial abundance can result from a, from great teamwork between couples. Um, I would also say that know what you don't know. Be aware of what you don't know. Uh, don't go this route alone. If you really are not inclined. Uh, to, to divert, devote the time, effort, um, and uh, education that's required to do this. Uh, this is a little bit of a plug for using a financial planner. Um, if, if my car breaks down, starts making funny noises, I'm going to the mechanic because I recognize I know nothing about cars. <laughs> and not everybody is, uh, is able to, to handle this kind of stuff on their own. Um, so I would, I would recommend that. And again, this is something, by the way, that women are far better at than men. Using the limits uh, of what they can do and being able to, um, being inclined to reach out for outside help.
0: So where can people go to learn more about you and your services?
1: So someone, um, th- th- there are a couple of different types of financial advisors, the ones who seek out clients and there are ones who, Sort of await clients, and I tend to be in the second category. Um, I'm a CFP, so it's a certified financial planner. Uh, I am uh, have my own firm; it's AngliaAdvisors.com, which you can see details of at uh, www.angliaadvisors.com. Um, but more important than coming to me is coming to the right kind of financial advisor um make sure that any financial advisor you go to and, and I, I fall into this category is what's known as a fiduciary it's extremely important that that advisor is required by law to work in your best interest at all times if you go to a, a product salesman financial advisor he is not covered by that role and he will work um in in a world that has a lot of conflicts of interest where he is paid by what how much he sells you um there is an alternative these days and that's to pay a fee for financial services whereby the advisor is not incentivized to sell you um sell you garbage or sell you uh anything at all um because the the compensation method is such that uh, that you're paying a fee and therefore there are no conflicts of interest so good to know um, okay. you can find those kind of people at cfp.net there's a search there or financial planning association in your local state um or you can come to my website as i say at uh, angrier advisors
0: Thank you so much, Simon. You know, my mission is to help people, ambitious people get bolder, braver and better paid. So I think this is really valuable information uh, for them to take and consider, especially so that they can have and create financial abundance and make it work for them and for the people that they love. So again, thanks so much for your valuable time and your expertise. And um, I will talk to you soon.
1: Thanks a lot, Jamie. Take care.
0: You too. Bye-bye.